they just haven't even worked with a data set that is real. And so that there's a lot of theoretical implications of working in a kind of an environment like an MBA where you're not really working with real world experience or real world problems to then be in a position where, yes, like these are the decisions I'm able to make off this data set. These are the kinds of questions that um, I think are really hard for MBA students to grasp unless they've had the actual experience doing it um, at a real company. NPS I Love You is a weekly customer success podcast for people who know that CS is about more than just churn and upsells. It's about people. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and my goal with this show is to give you powerful insights that'll improve your life and the lives of your customers. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm very excited to be joined today by Veronica Dasovich, who is Senior Director of Customer Success at Heap. Veronica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Ben. I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast and it's a Friday here in Los Angeles, so I could not be more excited to get on and talk to you about fun topics that we have in store. Yes. And picking a fun topic today, which is really timely because there's an article that just came out that I'm excited to talk to you about. So today we'll be discussing MBAs in particular, whether or not they're a good decision, sort of what, what your thoughts are on that and what your experience has been in. Uh, in the tech space and without an MBA. So I'm excited to explore some of that. And I think since before we sort of get into the the nitty gritty of the conversation, it might be really helpful to hear like a bit of background about yourself and how you got to the role that you're in now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I actually decided for my um, undergrad to study finance and get a Bachelor of Commerce at McGill University in Montreal in Canada. When I graduated, I decided to go work at a pretty big company, IBM. And I decided to do that because I, I wanted to, to kind of get the bigger company picture. And also, you know, it's a little bit easier as a new grad to go into a larger company, you know, kind of see the bigger picture of those programs and also, um, you know, get some real world experience in the field. There's so many different options out there in tech, but I knew I wanted to go into tech. so. It was a great way to, to kind of see the full tech stack, also learn from you know some experts in the field that have been doing sales and working in tech for many years. You know, I, I found that I wasn't really able to contribute in a way where I could actually make some change in the actual organization. And it kind of brought me back to actually a, an internship I did in college where I worked at a very small startup, just me and the founder, and we were launching a company called Prep My Future to help actually uh, MBA students study for the GMAT that were um, French mm. students primarily. What I loved about that was it really challenged me to you know, come in and not only do what I was hired to do, but really do five different jobs at once. So I was supposed to just be doing sales. I was doing marketing. I was doing product. Um, I was negotiating with different partners. Um, I was doing translation work. What I loved about that is I knew that there was a big market opportunity and a personal drive to really change and build processes in smaller companies. The big company experience IBM led me to then finding, you know, what tech startup could I go to next where I could really mm -hmm. um, hone a lot of the skills from my time at a big company, but also, you know, push myself to do work that I might not have been qualified to do, <laughs> but you know, startups take a they take a risk, and you know, it does take a certain aptitude of a person to say, you know, what I'm willing to take that risk. I'm young in my career, let's go for it. 
So I went to a company called App Annie, and they're a mobile intelligence company. They track tons of information about what mobile publishers are doing in the App Store. I found a lot of different initiatives to get my hands into, one of those being um, working with Heap, which is an analytics product. I was the first customer success hire at Heap, and over the time, um, the last four years, I've gone from being the first CSM to now being the program owner of all of customer success at Heap. And it's definitely been a very high growth, high stakes environment. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, a lot of the work that I've done early in my career to really push myself to find those kinds of opportunities that I wouldn't normally be able to get is how I was able to be successful at Heap. It's a really smooth story. I think one of the things that jumps out is, I mean, when you said there were a lot of programs at App Annie that you were able to sort of dig into and, and get your hands dirty with. It's one of those like up and down sides or two sides of the double-sided swords, I guess is the phrase at uh, startups is that there's always a million things to do. So you can come up with your own ideas. You can take on other people's ideas and projects. You can do all sorts of things. The, the flip side of that is that you then can often take on too much. And sometimes that, you know, causes you to burn out or just causes you to people to get disillusioned with, with startups in general. So that's sort of a, a, a risk as well. Did you find you were taking on like too much at that point or did you find you kept it pretty targeted? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, I was at the time in a, a role where I was managing pretty large book of customers, but I kind of looked at it as a way where, you know, if, you, if you're working at a company where there's tons of different technology and different projects or programs that the company is trying to grow and you feel like you know i'm I'm, yes i'm getting value out of the role i was hired to do but there i know there's so much more in me that i was kind Mm -hmm. of not being tapped to do and i wanted to be proactive about you know exploring those types of skills and interests that i had and startups don't really say no to you when you say hey i'd like to work on this project which is, I think, a huge benefit of working at a startup. But definitely agree. I mean, there were some days where, you know, I was at the office many, many hours. Uh, You know, I think at the time I was so young in my career that I I didn't think too much of it. And always, you know, things will sacrifice that time. So I might have spent a little bit less time with my clients because I was doing something internally. Or, you know, there might have been Friendsgiving or something I didn't go to because I was in the office. It's fair. I mean, it feels pretty normal, especially at the start of your career, right? Yeah. So, but it's definitely, like you said, great way to get hands-on practical experience in a lot of different areas that you want to get to. They'll pretty much always say yes, which is nice. So let's talk about MBAs on the side of the, are you pro MBA or con MBA? I'm definitely biased. Uh, I, I'm anti-MBA and the big reason why, I mean, there's several reasons, but if you're going into your professional career and the thought process behind your head is, I want to get an MBA. That is not a good thought process because usually people are, that get an MBA that I, where I think it makes sense is you're transitioning careers. You might not have had an undergraduate in, in commerce. You maybe are coming you know, in a role where you're not able to move up in your organization and you want to transfer into something else. but. Um, there's a lot of people I went to school with that had the mindset that they're going to get their undergrad and then they're going to go get their MBA. 
And what what I see in the in like reality <laughs> is that any candidates that we are hiring and that we're looking at that come into our our organization, there's not a lot of conversations about well, where do they go to school? Even for undergrad, yeah. it's just not something we talk about. Yeah, it's true. It's a good point. But a lot of the the things we look at in candidates um, is often, you know, where have you gained experience, and what did the company growth look like during that time? And were you there for a substantial amount of time to actually garner insights and bring something valuable that you could then bring to our organization? So I see that a lot where candidates are moving around. Maybe they did a year and a half. Maybe they did a year. And it's just not even enough time to really fully understand and grasp organizational change. And a lot of the, the skills that MBA programs tout uh, that you can mm-hmm. get like communication and project management and networking and leadership. <laughs> yeah. um, those are all things you can get from working. And by the way, it's then putting money in your pocket and not putting you into a situation where you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. So the, the article they looked at students who got their master's in film studies at Columbia um, they over the past like five years or something like that, the average amount of debt they'd taken on t- to do that program was something like $180,000 a person. And two years after graduating, the average income was like 30000 a person. Obviously, that's like film. That's that's a bit different than than doing your going in, into business. But it just uh, it came to mind because I knew that you and I would be having this conversation. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. And I also have seen real examples where I mean, I've hired candidates who do have MBAs. And again, I didn't even it wasn't part of the conversation of why I hired them. Um, and they were making the same as someone that did not have an MBA that had just had more work experience. I, I just can't emphasize that enough that companies are moving in the direction of emphasizing expertise and skills and real world experience over the yeah. actual degrees in education. Yeah, the, the whole trend is, is moving away, at least in tech. So maybe it's that's probably the first of a few caveats we'll probably have over the course of the conversation, which is you know, we're speaking in terms of if you want to go into startups and technology, like if this is the industry you want to be in, you need it probably will be not helpful to to get an MBA either. You'll end up sort of on par with someone who didn't, but who has who spent that time getting these tactical skills, or it could just cripple you or, or disadvantage you in other ways financially. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I've never worked at, at a company like IBM. But if you work pursuing, you know, being in a, a leadership role at IBM, maybe they do still require MBAs. And that might be a a good route for that. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I I do see, and I think there is also just a change in, you know, expectations of the history, again, of technology. There's been so much rapid change. The toolkit and the actual skills that you're learning, so even going back to my um, Bachelor of Commerce, the only tool that I was using in that program I still use today is Microsoft Excel. Um, there's so many other um, tools that a lot of these MBA and even Bachelor of Commerce programs just don't even have access to that when you're going and applying into these roles, they're asking if you have had experience with some of these tools. If you haven't, it's fine if you've shown that aptitude of, yes, I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to take courses and um, get certified. And which, by the way, a lot of tech companies have certifications that you can do and they have yeah. tons of like online learning that you can do, which is all basically free and available if you're willing to take the time to do that outside of your day to day. Definitely. And that's one of the things I actually do really look for in candidates is 
have they taken the initiative to go get like, I don't know whether it's AdWords certified through Google or Salesforce certified, or, you know, they're doing these other CSM courses or things like that, not even caring what the course is just to show that, okay, they're like actively going above and beyond to try to move in this direction. That says more a lot to me than, than a lot of other things. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I do think that, I think it's challenging when you're finding candidates who have come from an MBA and they just haven't even worked with a data set that is real. And so that there's a right. lot of theoretical implications of working in a kind of an environment like an MBA where you're not really working with real world experience and real world problems yeah. to then be in a position where, yes, like these are the decisions I'm able to make off this data set. These are the kinds of questions that um, I think are really hard for MBA students to grasp unless they've had the actual experience doing it um, at a real company. And, and in a real company, probably half the data in the data set's going to be missing and then a quarter of it's going to be incorrect and you're going to need to do a bunch of other things like that. But um, no, it, it's a great point. It reminds me of uh, back my commerce degree. We had to, we all had to take computer science and we learned a program called Jython that was like Python for like four-year-olds. It was like a little snake. And I just remember being like, this is from, it literally felt like something from the, I guess, early 80s or something like that. And full of just ridiculous that concepts that never, no, never supported my actual career. I think there were like three things I learned from school that, that still apply now. But I also think that different people have different, like some people just love formal education and they just really work well in a classroom environment. Those are probably the same people who are inclined to stay in school longer because they perform really well in a classroom environment and they like being in that environment. So, you know, going into their master's seems like a great next step to better potentially qualify them, whereas others are just sort of chomping at the bit to get into the real world. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. And I, I do think there's value in more technical fields, like, mm -hmm. you know, even in, um, you know, solutions engineering, you could argue that having, you know, masters of in information systems could be really helpful in getting you to be more technical and really working with more data sets. And I think there is a lot of value in those kinds of programs. But when I think about like business related programs, I think that there's really no substitute for getting real world experience. Um, a lot of the time I also see candidates who are coming through that we're looking at um, bringing onto our team that have taken initiative to do things like, you know, designing a new website, uh, maybe they're mm -hmm. launching a product line or putting investment into their own startup. Um, and that is maybe something they've done in between jobs because they're just looking for a way to continue to hone their skills and really push their own boundary of what is possible. Um, and I see a lot of value in that in taking initiative, project management, a lot of those you know kind of core business skills that again, if an MBA program, maybe they have a course where they're making you do that, but I don't I don't think it's necessarily a good use of your time if um, and money if you're willing to do that on your own anyway. Um, there's a ton yeah. of resources, again, on even if you wanted to do projects like that, launching your, your own website, um, there's so many different resources available to, to really hone those kinds of skills and find um, new ways to push yourself um, outside of an MBA program. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. 
Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalyst today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. So in terms of what we do then, like one of the big things is that people, you know, you come up all through school, you go through university, it's sort of, or, or college, it's all that you know. Um, you might be encouraged to go get your MBA or something like that, because obviously that institution wants more of your money and they want to keep you within their system. How do you think people can help others to, or I guess spread the message or help help people realize that there are these opportunities? I, I It might even be part of a bigger conversation in tech in general, just letting people know that hey, you can get into tech if you're not an engineer. There's all these other amazing jobs that you could be amazing at and not have to write a single line of code. Yeah, no, it's, that's a great point. I do think, I think that the world of tech does need to do a better job of connecting to undergrads and being able to show them that there has been a lot of development in tech in the last 10 years where we're willing to take in undergrads and are willing to make an investment, make a bet on someone that's hungry and excited about moving into this industry. Um, something mm -hmm. I think a lot about, which I think is also underestimated in the tech world, a lot of people get an MBA is they say, you know, I'm I want to get an MBA so I can network. Like I, my ears like hurt. <laughs> oh, no. like, there's no like that does not make any sense to me because the networking world that I have experienced in tech is huge. If you reach out and you have a compelling story and say, you know what, I'd love to take you to lunch. I'd love to take you to coffee. I want to get to know your path. People love that in tech. Like, it is a huge opportunity to find you know, your own path, but also hear other paths that you can take in tech. There's also tons of organizations like Meetup. Um, it was one of the first uh, organizations I joined was the San Francisco Customer Success Meetup a few years ago. Um, it's actually how I met the Catalyst team. When I started going to those meetups, what I uncovered is, um, one, you know, I wasn't alone in entering into this new world of tech and not really knowing what else was out there. There was tons of people that would show up mm -hmm. that might have just started their first tech job. Right. And we would spend a lot of the time in those, you know, more organic ad hoc conversations just Again, learning each other's journeys. What you know? What struggles have you had coming into tech? Like, who are your mentors? Um, what are business challenges that you're running into? Um, and then proactively setting up, you know, additional conversations from there to help, you know, advance your own career or again just to continue to network. And so I, I think there's ample opportunity there. Where you know, again, I joined one of those meetups, and then three years later, I was speaking on a panel at one of those meetups. I never thought that that would happen. But, you know, you can find your passion and really find those kinds of opportunities by just putting yourself out there in the world of tech. Which can be hard. I mean, a lot of people go to meetups and they get like, you know, the awkward, you know, it's hard to walk up to someone and just start a conversation. But that's a whole other podcast, I think, is just networking events in general. But it's a great you know point, considering that one of the key arguments you hear that are, you know, pro masters is, well, I'm not really doing it to learn anything, but, you know, I'm going to do my MBA. I'm going to be in this class with 
however many other people who are also smart and talented and ambitious and want to go into this industry. And then that way, when we go into the industry, we have this network of people and we can buy from each other and we can sell to each other and we can introduce each other for jobs. And there is an element of truth to that. I just think that it's not exclusive. There's a million other ways to get that. You don't need to pay $200,000 for an MBA in order to get those connections. For example, I went through a program uh, called Venture for Canada that was based on a program here called Venture for America that basically takes new grads and puts them through a, a training program and then gives them introductions to tech companies. So it helps you basically get your foot in the door in tech. And that, you know, it wasn't an MBA at all. And it was a free program. And that gave me this incredible group of, I mean, now it's in the hundreds of fellows who went through that program. And, you know, it's not like an under the table, you know, we're not like doing these like backdoor deals where we're like, oh, get me in here at this company and get me. But it's a group where, you know, we meet, we socialize, we share events and resources and introduce, introduce each other to people and help each other. And that's uh, one of the biggest things that'll, that'll also impact your, your career growth. So having that networking element is critical, but whether that comes from an MBA program or one of the plethora of other ways that you can build those networks is debatable. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I, I do think that um, even a lot of the companies that you go and work for, the leadership team combined has tens of years of experience in the, in the mm -hmm. industry and are also willing to spend time with you. So I, I remember many early conversations I had when I first joined App Annie with their chief marketing officer, with their chief revenue officer. Um, and I was pretty low in the totem pole at that time. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're willing to take time out of their day to, to hear me out and understand, you know, what do I need to do in my career to get to your level one day? Mm -hmm. You know, what are some focus areas I should be doing to improve, you know, my own personal development? And people are, you know, willing to meet you in that, in that environment, especially at a company where they've taken a bet on you and they want, they want to make you better. And it's a good use of their time. And typically they're also very excited about learning about, you know, some of the skills and opportunities that you're willing to take on um, at their organization. And there's a lot of movement towards, you know, employee retention. It's been a tough mm -hmm. year with COVID um, and the job market is hot. <laughs> yep. um, so, you know, if you're willing to, to move somewhere, you know, and you, you have the motivation, the opportunities are there. There's a lot of focus on how can we help internally promote folks? How can we get them in a role that they're excited about? So I think leaders are really excited to have those kinds of conversations. What would you say to like, so for, for context, I was speaking with a, a previous professor of mine from university who I stayed in touch with. You know, she understood where I was coming from when I said, you know, yeah, maybe I was a little mature, but like I could have probably gone from high school to like a work program and then gone right into what I'm doing because I don't really use anything that I that I learned. You know, one, one point she made that I did think was, was was valid, and I don't know if this applies to a master's as well as an undergrad, but she was saying that, you know, it's, it's the only time in your life where you can be singularly focused on learning and critical thinking. Now, you know, we look at that as like a treat. Like if we get together, that's one of the reasons I like doing the podcast, right? Because it's, we're not working, we're having a conversation about a topic that's maybe a bit controversial or contentious, and we're going to we're talking about different sides to it. And I get to do that a bunch uh, across a whole bunch of different topics. But this, I mean, when you think back to college or university, like this was all you were doing pretty much all the time was just critical thinking about different topics, research, presentations. Um, so I do get the, the validity of that in terms of making the most of the time that you have to learn and think critically. 
having not gone through a master's program, though, I, I can't say whether that's actually what what goes on in them uh, or not. Yeah, I do think that there's some invaluable experiences that I had as an undergrad. And I, looking back, every school I applied to, I applied to engineering. And then Miguel, I applied to oh, finance. Really? I'm happy it kind of worked out that way. Yeah. Um, and you, when you're 18, you really don't know what you want to do. And that's real. That's one of the most pivotal decisions, I still think, of where you decide to go from that point. And I do think if you're not sure, Bachelor of Commerce is a good option because it's such a a valuable degree going into the work working world. If you're not a hundred percent sold on being extremely technical, mm-hmm. then I do think a bachelor of commerce is a good option. Um, I do think that going, looking from Canada to the United States and the way that, that they structure their, their schooling, um, the United States definitely can do a lot more to, to even dip students toes into some of these topics. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of, um, you know, accounting or economics classes prior to college. And some of my uh, peers in Montreal were already had had one or two years of classes in economics and accounting. <laughs> and I feel like I was kind of a little bit set back in that way. But I do I do agree. I think it was, you know, one of the, the first times where I could truly be independent mm-hmm. and find my passion. I still don't think that you can do that in a college environment successfully. You're not really going to find your passion until you start working. Um, but yep. I see it as really the mechanism to just getting that first job. And then from there, mm-hmm. that's really your taking off point. Looking back, I, my advice would be, especially looking at the Bachelor of Commerce, I decided to go into finance so I could leave with something that was a specific skill and I could talk about that in interviews. And that did helped me get that first job at IBM. A lot of the broad-based degrees are like a little bit challenging, different curriculums for uh, employers to really understand exactly what you actually learned um, and what mm-hmm. would be practical skills that you could bring into your next role. So for me, that was finance. I mean, at the end of the day, I, again, I did use Excel. Um, I learned a lot about balance great sheets. Great at pivot which, tables. You know, yes, great at pivot tables. <laughs> But, you know, there's just too much theory in undergrad. And that, I think that's where, yes, you can learn practical skills um, about, you know, project management and analytical thinking, communications. But at the end of the day, it's, gonna, it's just going to be a lot different once you start working. Definitely. One of the other arguments or situations that I've seen is, you know, MBA as a reason to or a pathway to promotion again, might not be as as true in startups, but often people, you know, if they're in a role, especially at a larger company, having an MBA will will do that, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why companies like IBM or McKinsey or, you know, these large large companies will even pay for people to go get their their MBA in exchange for some years of servitude. Uh, You've done an incredibly good job of being promoted, you know, through different roles without going out and getting extra education and just sort of focusing on what you're doing. So what do you sort of chalk that up to like were there specific things that you did to make sure that you would advance and get promoted and and sort of what were they yeah that's a it's a great question and i definitely do think about that and there were you know times in my path where i thought you know maybe i should go get an mba like this mm-hmm. might level me up it just kept coming back to every company's different so i wouldn't say that you know isn't to say that there are not companies out there that would say, you know what, we are willing to bring you onto our executive team if you have an MBA, that definitely does happen. Mm -hmm. What I think happens in those scenarios though, is 
there are now like one-year MBA programs, there's executive MBA programs. And if mm -hmm. you get to that level, the company, if that's really the conversation, they will invest in getting you into that kind of a program, you know, for a year or, you know, maybe it's night classes or something for the following three years. To me, that's, that's on the company to make that decision, not the individual. And I haven't seen it in practice where individuals are not getting promoted um, because they don't have the MBA. So I think for me, you know, why I was able to, to grow in my path, um, I took a ton of initiative and kind of uh, took the approach of if I can prove myself taking practical playbooks that I've learned in the past and also being extremely resourceful um, and finding my mm -hmm. own mentors, going to meetups, finding material online, and just using business <laughs> skills that I'd already acquired to apply that to the business. That really is how I was able to position myself at Heap. Um, a lot of the work that I've done, you know, definitely is a lot of hours, a lot of grit, taking initiative, putting myself out there, saying yes to things I don't know how to do, <laughs> and yes, then figuring definitely. it out once I get there. <laughs> That's the key to life. Yes. <laughs> um, but, and, and then I would say also, I, this is something I've been learning a lot over the past four years is hiring well is super important. So I've, I spend probably 50% of my time on hiring. And when I spend time on hiring, wow. you know, I really look at what are the, the greatest candidates that I can bring in, but also creating a, a smooth process for candidates um, where I'm being extremely proactive with our recruiting team and um, with our candidates. It's, it's really on me to bring in uh, a strong team and build a strong team. It's not on the recruiter, it's not on my hiring managers, it's on me because I'm the department lead. Um, and I think that gets lost a lot when companies are growing, that you know, if you don't bring in good people, then uh, everything will break down. And so uh, something we talk a lot about at Heap is the, the concept of the multiplier. And what that really means is you know, you're, you're bringing people in that can do your job and then great, now my job's delegated, I can now go on and do something else. And that's, I think, a great yeah. way for leaders, especially young leaders, to come in into our organization who might not have all the skills to do all the work, but if you hire well, then mm -hmm. they can do the work for you. Definitely. Yeah, that's one of the, that's another great point that, that uh, I think people don't realize is that, especially in leadership roles, like you're, you're hiring to basically allow you to do less work on that certain thing, and then you'll focus on, on the next thing. I think there's a lot of issues that people run into where people aren't necessarily hoarding work, but they might be hoarding knowledge or they might be reluctant to give up any power or ownership of a project or that sort of thing because they think it'll negatively impact them. But really the, the way to move forward is by hiring well, delegating well, giving things away wherever possible. And then, you know, there's always more to do. So it's not like your boss is going to come to you and say like, oh, you hired this great team. They've taken on 90% of your work. So we're going to reduce your salary by 90% and ask you only to come in on Monday for two hours and like, great, um, that will never happen. So uh, I think that's an important lesson for people to take away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also uh, something that I've seen now at two different companies, um, Appiani and Heap, is things can get tough at times. It's never, the grass is never greener. <laughs> yeah. And you're only going to learn if you see the, the challenging times. So COVID is a great example mm -hmm. of this. It would have been very easy yeah. to say, oh my gosh, like how are we even going to deal with this? We have customers whose businesses are going under. We have employees who are 
having health issues and are feeling depressed. We have, um, you know, a lot of personal problems happening across the board. And it can be easy to walk away from that and say, this is too hard. I I don't think I can do this. But pushing yourself to say, you know what, we're going to get through it. We're going to stay positive and finding ways to actually, you know, build new programs and push yourself to to kind of, you know, be more collaborative and just be a little bit more open to, to ambiguity. Um, I think that's really when real leadership happens. Um, and I've seen too many leaders come in and out over the years that walked away when it was really hard. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, th- I do think that's a, a really big benefit again to working, you know, as at a fast growing company. Amazing. Well. Veronica, thank you for sharing all of that today. I think there's so many things people can take away from just even hearing about your journey. I, I couldn't agree more that the, the most important things, you know, are you showing that you're taking initiative? Are you hiring well and delegating well? Are you, you know, leading with compassion? Are you sticking with people and companies through the tough times? Um, all of that says so much about character and potential. And really, that's where we're seeing the entire tech industry move in terms of what people are looking for, who they're looking to hire. Um, and as people like yourself who who are that way and have succeeded, as you hire, obviously you're going to be hiring people that you're also going to be not looking for necessarily an MBA, you know, won't count for or against, but you'll be looking for those characteristics and those traits and attributes and skills over just looking at formal education as a proxy uh, for those sorts of things. So I appreciate you sharing so much of that and spending time with me today. It was great chatting with you and we'll speak again soon. Great. Thanks so much, Ben. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. It's great for my self-esteem. Thanks for joining us. And if you'd like to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. P.S. I love you.